1: Well, hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is the one and only Josh Arié. Josh has been in and around the game of poker his entire adult life and has racked up more than $8.1 million in lifetime multi-table tournament caches. I feel like I'm in danger of going full Troy McClure in this intro, but you may remember Mr. Arie from the time he got third in the 2004 WSOP main event, the year that past CPG guest Greg fossilman Raymer went the distance. You also may remember him from his two WSOP gold bracelet victories, or from the legendary bad beat he put on Bryce Yaki at the final table of the $50,000 Poker Players Championship playing Deuce to 7 triple draw. It was a particularly brutal hand where he busted poor Mr. Yaki despite being a more than 99% underdog. One thing that tends to get left out of that story, by the way, is the fact that Josh had a commanding chip lead 4 and doubling up Yaki would have only cost him about 15% of his stack. Another fun little story about that event is that one of my closest friends, the man I have to give a hat tip to for introducing Josh and I in the first place, actually bought a rather large piece of Mr. Aria for that event. And what Bryce Yaki didn't know he had going against him is that my friend runs absurdly hot backing players, so spiking a 1%er was honestly kind of expected. But when it comes to having a rich, colorful, successful journey through the world of gambling and playing poker, it's hard to find a more compelling character than Josh Arie. He has undeniably lived a fulfilling life of high adventure on the green felt, Chasing Poker Greatness, and in today's episode featuring the one and only Josh Arieh, you're going to learn Josh's origin story into the world of poker and playing cards, what Josh was feeling, thinking, and experiencing at that legendary 2004 main event final table, the project Josh is currently working on that will very likely fire you up, and much, much more. So now, without any further ado, I bring to you a fearless gambler who has stood the test of time, the one and only Josh Aryeh. Mr. Aryeh, how you doing, sir? Good morning.
2: I'm doing great, man. How about you, Brad?
1: I'm doing quite well, doing quite well. We are just reminiscing about some... Old private games of Atlanta's past. Some <laughs> ghosts in my closet. Yeah. Um, yeah,
2: let's keep those. Let's keep those in the past.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's good talking to people who've experienced similar things. I think where you know you can kind of sometimes this journey, like when things go down like that, it's very lonesome. It's a very lonely yeah. avenue by yourself. So talking to people who've experienced stuff, you know, it's it's good. Good for my spirit. Um,
2: Poker is a very, um, it's a single sport. So you never get to, you don't really get to, uh, share your sorrows and, you know, nobody wants to hear your bad beat stories. And, but now it's like, we're both saying them together. It's like, we're a team.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Team of bad beat stories. Um, genuine bad beats though. Like legit bad beats. Um, Yeah. I typically start this show out by asking about your story through cards and this might be a long story and this might be the only question Mm -hmm. that we ask on the show so uh how old were you or how old are you now when did you start playing cards what does that look like Uh,
2: uh yeah well I'm 46 now I started playing um cards when I was 18 17 18 I don't really remember it was back like I always, so I I used to play a lot of pool and I gambled playing pool. Um, I was never into drinking and doing drugs. And like everybody in my high school was my high school was a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking. And um, so I found my way to the pool halls and everybody, like everybody at the pool hall would sit around and not gamble and try to get any edge that they could possibly get. Like it's, Insane how big and nits everybody was. But the second that the pool room would close, everybody would pull up bar stools to a pool table and the bartender would start dealing poker. Well, I was always good at math. So I started to realize it came second nature to see that, like, oh, wow, this guy put all his money in with the flush draw and there's only X amount of cards that he can make a flush with and blah, blah, blah. So I started, it, poker really uh, intrigued me. Um, so every night after the pool room would close, we would start uh, a poker game and that evolved to, no, we don't want Josh to play, blah, blah, blah. So I found <laughs> you, some like-
1: You got kicked out so of your now, first game?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then I found I found uh, home games in Atlanta, like $1 and $2 games, and I would just go broke every time. Um, I was way too aggressive to play limit poker. Um, Limit poker was real huge. No limit hadn't made its boom yet. And I would have these huge swings of going broke, building a bankroll, going broke, building a bankroll, no bankroll management at all. I'd go broke. I'd go get a job, get a paycheck for 200. Um, And then, um, excuse me, I found bigger games around town and and started building my bankroll up. And every time I'd build my bankroll up, I would drive to Biloxi and play poker against the big boys and I would always look over at the the twenty forty limit table be like man one day I hope to play in that game and so I would just build my bankroll up and drive down and go broke and come back and build it back up again and go down and um, finally uh, I started doing good and and I just I, I always made it a point and I told you earlier that I don't want to go broke the same way twice, so I always would just like I'd go broke and I'd I would um, sit in those feelings and and learn from those feelings that I don't want to feel this way. What is causing these feelings? And where did and that come from? Kind of,
1: that ability to sit with your emotions and sit, because like this is the healthy way to deal with it. And I think lots of people kind of I, I, bury it in the backyard and then they explode one day. But like just um, a natural I've,
2: thing. I've always. I've always been a huge competitor. I've played sports my whole life. And whether it's just any kind of competition, it doesn't matter what it is. And I, I've lost a lot. and in, in, in poker, you have to deal with losing a lot. So along the way, um, I, I just don't look at losses as, I look at them as learning experiences. And its it's a very used up analogy, but it's just what I've done since I was a kid, the pain of losing hurts and I want to understand why I didn't, uh, perform to the, my, the best of my ability. And so I guess I was lucky to be able to analyze that at a young age. Um, then in like 1996, maybe ninety ninety six 96 or 97, um, started playing tournaments and my aggression was something that people couldn't really deal with back then usually before when you get three bet it was the nuts everybody they had it when you when you three bet somebody with the eight nine of spades they didn't know how to handle it and and you just get cussed out and laughed away (laughs) like you don't know what you're doing and um so i just had a knack for tournament poker because my style had a good, uh, had a variance of building up chips or getting knocked out. Um, and yeah, it, it was, so I just always continued to take good, uh, I continued to take steps to play bigger and I haven't been afraid to gamble. I mean, I've been a gambler since I was losing my clothes to eighth graders playing pool. Um, so yeah, I just continued to to take more risk and believe in myself and and at an early age I felt like, well, I've figured out every way to go broke. I'm not going to do it again. I've made every dumb decision that I can possibly make. I'm not going to do it again. But that's when you're 21 and 22 and think you know everything. <laughs> yeah. And needless to say that <clears throat> needless to say that over the past Twenty-five years, I've continued to take big strides and lose big numbers in different ways, but learn from it every time. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, where that's basically my background.
1: Tell me about your your family life coming up. I know you're from Atlanta. Like, um, where'd you come from? Like, middle middle class, affluent, poor? Yeah,
2: my dad, no, uh, my dad was a grinder. My dad. Um, My dad moved to the U.S. when he was 20 after the Israeli army. My dad grew up in Israel, moved to Rochester, New York, where I was born. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And for some reason, um, I guess this is for a different podcast, Is my mom left when I was two years old. So I've never known her. Um, And my dad, uh, he raised three kids on his own. So it was always I wouldn't say tough. I, I always had a roof over my head, and I always had food on on my plate, uh, but I always was very independent from the very beginning. Um, I cut grass, you know I pushed a lawnmower around a neighborhood from the age of ten. Um, I had a job at the grocery store at the age of fourteen, so i 've always been independent financially uh, and I always knew that I wanted more. I saw nice things and I wanted it. Um, and I saw how hard my dad worked, so I made it a point that you know I can do the same. But yeah, we moved to Atlanta when I was eight years old, and um, I've lived in Atlanta ever since.
1: The reason I the reason I asked the question is. Because you know you you're you've never been afraid to gamble big. You've never been afraid to go broke. You've never been afraid to play high stakes and just take an edge if you see an edge. And so I was just kind of wondering, you know, your background um, that led to this sort of fearlessness as it relates to playing cards for lots of money. Like, do you do you know where that comes from, or just uh, innate ability? I, I, just,
2: I just feel like it's just. Uh, uh, History of gambling and understanding that I'm experienced and believing it. It's it's got a lot of self uh, self belief and mixed in with no fear and mixed in with some stupidity, um, <laughs> delusion. <but> other, yeah, <laughs> yeah, delusion. Um, I, I just it's basically like just a lot of self belief that I believe in what I'm doing, whether Somebody else doesn't or not, uh, or somebody else does or not. Um, And just go with it. And if I'm wrong, I'm able to accept the consequences and belief that I can pump back up or, um, you know, I I don't know. It's just, it's basically just a mix of I don't care and, but more. I believe in myself, and I believe in um, my knowledge and what I'm doing. And at worst, I am flipping coins. Yeah, I think... And it gets gets me in trouble a lot, but it does... um, You know, my bankroll probably has a lot more variance than the normal guy.
1: Yeah, Patrick Howard said uh at one point in the detox retreat when those guys came down to atlanta right before the pandemic last year he said that you know a lack of risk aversion is almost a superpower in this world like because the people who have a lack of risk aversion and also can play the game at a very high level tend to have massive amounts of success. And their bankrolls <laughs> do tend to fluctuate um, quite ridiculously more than most people. But like that fearlessness is something that just confidence in high-pressured situations, not afraid to take a shot. I mean, I had Galfon on the podcast, and you know, Galfon had an 800K bankroll and lost 400 of it in, in a night right? Like when he was shot taking, and then he said, he just moved down, you know, he was just like, well, I just moved down. And then when I built it back up, I shot took again. Right. And this is like, you're not going to find this kind of bankroll management in any book anywhere, but like those kids playing on full tilt poker back in the day, you know, 50 or 501 K PLO, like nobody on the planet has a bankroll for that game. Like that in the poker space anyway, like that's just a bunch of gamblers, you know?
2: Right. There was a, There was a time, uh, like three or four years ago, that I hired an amazing coach, uh, one of the best high-limit players right now. I'm not going to say his name because I don't think he wants it known. Um, But he explained it to me in a a really good way, was anybody can study everything that they want. Um, You can... You can read all the books you want. You can do all the simulations you want. But it's how you perform when, you have, when you're dealing with adrenaline. And and I thought about it, and I was like, wow, that makes me think about when I'm golfing, I golf a lot better when I'm playing for more money. Like, people think that, like, oh, Josh, we were playing for 100, and you were just shitting around and screwing around. You were hustling me. Because now we're playing for a thousand and you're playing much better and it's not i I can't explain it it's just how i I feel like I perform at a much greater level when i'm when I have adrenaline going through me and I'm like very in ultra interested hyper interested um and and this coach explained it to me that way about poker is that you can study all you want to play perfect when you're playing in a one-two game and your heart's not racing a million miles an hour and your hands aren't shaking. But when you get to the final table and there's, you're at a point where your hourly rate is the highest it'll ever be, that's when you have to perform. And I feel like, and I could be wrong because I've dogged it a million times, but also I've stepped it up. A lot of times as well, and 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 performed well under pressure. So it's about, in my mind, like if I were to to give somebody the best advice, that's that is um, trying to become a pro player or to do anything at a high level, would be to make yourself uncomfortable and see how you perform, and correctly analyze that, and then go back to where you're comfortable and figure out why you couldn't do the same thing when the pressure is on and your heart's racing 120 beats a minute. You know, that's where, that's where champions are made. And that's where legends are made is performing when the pressure is on.
1: Absolutely. Um, Tim Ferriss, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Workweek guy, but uh-huh. he did a TED talk um, that he was preparing for, and he would drink a bunch of caffeine and like run around, like expend a bunch of energy and get his heart rate up, and then he would practice his speech um, because he knew that like he can practice it in the confines of his home with no pressure, but when you get out there and there's five thousand people staring at you, that's a different arena than in your bathroom practicing a speech, right? um right for sure and the same thing applies to poker let's let's sort of dive into this a little bit more granularly if you're playing for like small stakes right you know how you feel in that moment and then when you play for higher stakes like how do you feel internally like when you're lining up to strike the ball or you're playing a big poker tournament and you have this spike of adrenaline can you describe like what you're thinking and how you're feeling
2: I don't know. I just like uh the more at risk, the more engaged I am. Um it, I don't know, I can't describe it. It's you know, all these athletes talk about the zone and this and that. But for me it was always like I wasn't that interested if I was playing a hundred dollar pool game, if I had two thousand dollars in my pocket. Who cares? You don't have to win. It, you you don't need to win. Nothing is going to change your life on that hundred dollar pool game. But if I play for a thousand or two thousand, or if I'm playing for more than what I have, now I'm engaged. I I can't explain it. It's just one of those. It's just how I groomed myself.
1: It's a uh, real thing
2: unintentionally. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's it's but it's but it's unintentional. Like yeah. I didn't purposely say that, oh, I'm gonna learn how to do all this stuff and I'm gonna compete every single day so that later on I can be good. It's just it's just one of those things and how the only way that I can say to to train yourself is to put yourself in those shoes and then later analyze it to to see what you did different and what caused you to not be able to perform and make the same decisions when the pressure's on. Yeah. Um there's I, I wish I could explain it.
1: <laughs> there's a great movie that is another example of this called Free Solo. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's with Alex Honnold, who's, yeah. uh, you know, he climbs the without mountain climber. Yeah, yeah, he the rock climber. Um, he climbed El Capitan without any harnesses or safety ropes or equipment. And he described it very similarly that like he's like people think that I have a death wish, but that couldn't be further from the truth like when you're up here and you have no safety equipment, he's like, that's when I feel the most alive because any mistake yeah. costs me my life. And that's the most engaged and focused that I will ever be as a human being. So like, he's like, I'm terrified of dying, but like, that's part of it. You know, that's part of what makes it um such a great thing that he does, uh, why it's so enjoyable. And people will look at that and be like, wow, like, you know, that's, that's actually real gambling, right? Like that's gambling with, your life oh, yeah. on this planet yeah. but yeah that's uh, another example that's it's just it, for me <laughs> yeah uh not not so much uh for me either but um let's go back to your story so you get crushed in limit limit poker like like most of us did um back in the day you find tournaments you're finding success what happened next in your poker career
2: I, that was like then I, I started finding success, and I quit my job at the end of 1998. and I just stuck to poker. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed the downtime. I enjoyed competing every single day. And I enjoyed like the characters that I would get to gamble with on a daily basis. Like as you know as a pro player, you know, you have a lot of downtime. Um, so I got to golf a lot and I don't know. I just it was it was to me it was just like the next stage of my life of going from pool player to you know, it was it was the next way that I got to be a gambler. And yeah. I, I don't and then I guess my first time to the World Series was in ninety nine. Um I had gone to uh, a tournament series in Philadelphia, Mississippi, where I won a seat into the main event for like a hundred bucks. It was like a thousand dollar main event. And then I final tabled the main event. And um, the next stop was the World Series for me. And I got lucky and won a tournament out there and just had a really big 1999. Um, and Poker starts, I guess poker hadn't start booming yet, but but yeah, I I don't, I mean, it's, then I was, I guess from 99 on, I was just a pro poker player.
1: Yeah. Tell me about, so I think the Raymer year is 2004 or 2005? Yeah. 2004?
2: Yeah, it was 2004.
1: 2004. Um, Tell me about that that because like. That's a crazy year. Like that's, if you're going to make a WSOP yeah. final table in the main event, that was the fucking year, um, right after yeah. the moneymaker boom.
2: Um, so it was, it was cool. So I had become friends with Eric Blingren, I'm sure you remember him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was staking me at the time. And earlier that year, so that year, the WPT championship was the week before the World Series of Poker, and it was a 25K. And five going five into diamond. Day four. Yes, it was at the Bellagio. Um, go, the it, it going into day four, there was sixty people left, and I was third in chips. And there was this guy at my poker table, at, at my table. I don't remember his name, Mohammed something. Well, he ended up making the final table because with sixty people left. We got it in pre flop with I had aces and he had queens and took a command like, had final table chips with 60 people left. And um, I saved 5% with Martin Dikneef in that tournament and ended up winning it. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I remember that one tournament yeah Matt, yeah. Matt Matros and, came on
1: the pod. I think Matt Matros got third that year I remember watching it on the WPT yeah, and like I think so Martin uh he had like there were so many chips in his stack like they hadn't colored up or something there was <laughs> it was like obscene amount of chips
2: that's cool that was all that was always so it looks so much better when somebody's got a big pile of chips in front of them
1: yeah for sure but yeah
2: so that year Martin Martin won uh 2.5 million no I don't know. Whatever I whatever I won it was 50,000. Yeah. And so like I was on like a high that year. Um I it was the first time that I had 50,000 in a long time. Um into I mean I was playing 1020 1530 limit poker still at home paying bills. Uh my my early success in 99 and 2000 all that money was gone. Um uh, so that year I had put like 50,000 in the bank and um, I was getting staked. So it wasn't costing me anything to play. And that run came about uh, in the main event. Um, and it, you know, it changed my life. I was thinking about the other day, how grateful I am for that year, how it changed, completely changed the path of my life. Um, a few cards there was definitely some high volatile situations in that tournament um I was all in with an open end straight against the set with one to come but there were a few other times that if you know if my 30 percenter didn't come in my life would be extremely different because I don't love poker like like Take somebody like Daniel Negrano, who loves poker. Um, I don't love poker. I love competing, and poker allows me to do that and make a living. Um, but unfortunately, I don't study, um, I don't talk poker with anybody. I am not interested enough in it. I, just- it just it doesn't interest me. It doesn't There are times there are times that I do get interested and I find intriguing people to talk to and um, you know, dig deep into hands because I don't dig deep. Like when I talk about a hand, it's, it's different than how other people talk about hands. My main focus is picking on certain players and understanding what stage that person is in the tournament. And understanding what that person is trying to accomplish at the time and uh, combating it in whatever way I see fit. Um, It's just a a weird knack that I have. And it's why I've become pretty successful in live poker um, compared to online poker because it's like I don't get to use that. Like I don't get to use. My best asset in its understanding, uh, kind People. of understanding. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to toot my own horn, but like, I just uh, I get, have a knack of just understanding your body language, your your mixed with your play, mixed with what you say, and I kind of understand. Am I going to stay away from that person, or am I going to target that person? And it's done me well through the years, but, um, so when I get to talking about a hand with somebody, it's like, I'm explaining all these things. And the person I'm telling is like, what the fuck are you talking about? None of that shit matters. <laughs> yeah, but, it it makes know, a lot of sense to it does. me.
1: Like, to me so. It does. In, in live poker, you have data points that you can't access playing online. And so what you're doing is analyzing those data points and prioritizing them in a way that makes sense with you. And for a long time I, I've said that like one of our goals as professional poker players is to understand our opponent's strategy better than they understand it themselves. Like if you're playing against a fish, you should be able to you should be able to simulate what they're doing, like construct their strategies in your mind and then find the weak points to attack them like that's really what you're doing when you're attacking the weak players and that sounds exactly like what your process is you're you're building their strategy out finding figuring out what they're thinking about what they value um how they're putting chips in the middle how the pressure is affecting them and then you're just attacking the weak points in their strategy
2: I, i i like to put it one way yes that's that's part of it um but I like to put it, put it in this way, that, like, I can't beat anybody's A game. But I can figure out if you're on your A game instantly. And I can figure out ways to attack your B game and ways to attack your C game. And it's just, uh, I don't know. I just, I always, like, I'm never going to be at a table where everybody's on their A game but i think i'm going to be able to find out who's the right place to attack and at what time and eventually i'll get lucky enough and catch some good cards and be able to compete with the people that are on their AK
1: so let's kind of let's go back a little bit back to the WSOP and that run i mean how was it being on espn having the cameras there following you down to you know the final table and then actually the final table itself I remember your your bust out hand, you pulled David Williams aside and had a little conversation that got picked up you know, and that's got, broadcasted. You know, that's
2: got that uh, I hate to skip to that first, but it's like okay, we're playing in the most high pressure situation possible.
1: Yeah.
2: Poker, poker has just boomed. Chris Moneymaker came along and poker went from I think there was six or 700 people with half of them being quali- online qualifiers the year before to 2,400 people in the main event. And I'm sitting there with along the way had, had become very friendly with David Williams. And to this day, David and I are still close. Mm-hmm. Um, I sensed that David was content um, with what he had done yeah. as he should have been 21 or 22 year old kid. He's got $5 million. He doesn't give a shit about anything. He's giving <laughs> yeah. my money. I want to go buy. I want to go wherever and have some fun. But I basically, it was my way of pulling David aside and giving the best two-second pep talk I could possibly give a teammate. Like, at this point, he was a teammate. I wanted David to win. And um, I was just like, bust this motherfucker. And I didn't want David to give up. and. I, I sensed he was complacent in what he had done, and I was right. I mean, it literally, I went outside and I cried. my. I literally, before I went to the cage, I walked down the escalator from the kino room at the horseshoe, and I was out on the side street crying my eyes out because when you make a run that deep in something so cool, you think it's destiny. Like, you think this is my tournament. I am winning this. I fully believed that I was going to win the main event of the World Series of Poker. Everything lined up perfectly. I was the most, as soon as Dan Harrington was gone, I had the most experience. I had chips to play with. I was the best player. Um, But it didn't happen, and I was just, like, shocked. But at the same time, I just won $2 million. I've never had more than a hundred thousand in my whole life. Um, so, I, but yeah, I pulled him aside and I just like, it's like bust this motherfucker, just like grabbing a teammate. That's about like, like a linebacker going and telling a quarterback that's about to go on offense, go win this fucking game. Yeah. And it was just my way of saying it. And it got translated to, Whatever, and I, you know, I don't care what it was translated to, but it was just the best way that I could motivate David at the time and the two seconds that I had.
1: I love um, this insight but- into this, into what went down yeah. here. Like it makes sense. Like with with my private coaching students, one thing that I've been talking about lately is like you need to go into your sessions with intensity, right? Like you need to hear the fucking yeah. war, war drums beating in your chest, and to play at a high level. And like you sense that that David was like, you know, whatever whatever happens at this point, I'm happy, right? But he also has right. an opportunity to be a world champion, which, you know, right. the money that you make over the years, like the money that Ray, Raymers made, because he's a world champion, probably dwarfs what he made when he won the main event, right? So like there's this big opportunity. But I here. think
2: that it's it's yeah, it's bigger than money. It's it is being world champion is that is a different class just like um, if you win the main event and do nothing else the rest of your life if no if i were to win the main event and do nothing else the rest of my life i'm a world champion forever all the other bracelets i disagree with everybody else saying that the 2005 i won a I don't look. I am not a world champion. I've won two bracelets, but I am not a world champion. People that have won the main event, those are world champions, and those are thing. And being a world champion is something that is never taken away from you. Um, They're
1: legends. And I mean,
2: as I've yeah, as I've gotten older, um, I have changed a little bit thinking about. To me, uh, it's the journey and not the destination. So I will always have the journey of that tournament all the way to third. And the tournament lasted like five more minutes than I played. <laughs> yeah. But um, but so so I have the same journey. Our destinations were different, but the memories that I have from that I'll have forever. And it's it's. I really uh, I love looking back and, you know, I think about that was when Matt Savage was the uh, tournament director and I'll never forget uh, before they're doing the call outs. um, They're introducing everybody and everybody's coming out one by one. And we're in the back in a little closet, the size of a, a small bathroom and we're all there. And I'm just like fucking pumped. I mean, I'm, Bouncing up and down. I'm ready to go. I've got adrenaline. I'm ready to compete at the biggest stage that I could possibly compete on. And Matt is like, Josh, you gotta come down. And I'm just like, fuck no. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I mean it's this is this is what I have dreamt of since for the past seven years that I've been a pro. And or I don't even know if you want to call me a pro back then, but I was a poker player that wanted to compete at the highest level and i'm here and i have this adrenaline and uh, it was i i still there's very few memories that i have from 15 years ago that are that vivid Uh, i can i i I picture the room perfectly i picture i can see the lights i can see the 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 i see everything and um i'm 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 very lucky to have that memory.
1: That's awesome, man. That's a great. That's a great story. And when you you won a PLO bracelet, right? Like, yeah, a, a couple years the later, next year. The next year.
2: Yeah.
1: Was it? Was the adrenaline that high then? Or no, because I had, <laughs> mm. I had a
2: huge ego. I had a huge ego. I. I was. I'm still. Really good at PLO, um, but back then I was way better than um, the average or the norm. Or so I was extremely comfortable, and I
1: where did that come PLO from?
2: Came easy to me. I just just playing PLO was big in the South. Um, it in Tunica, like back in the early 2000s. If you went to Tunica during the old uh,
1: World Poker Open, Gold
2: Strike, yeah, World Poker Open, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you would go there and in the tournament room, there would be about forty. The whole room would be twenty-five, fifty, or higher PLO.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> they had like hundreds stacked is, from like the rail. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, was fucking insane. huge. It was yeah.
2: insane. And so I've played a lot of PLO, um, gone broke a lot of times playing PLO, and I just learned it faster, uh, and played a lot more than people were playing at the time. So you've got these no limit players that, Oh, it's, it's just like no limit. You just come in and, and, uh, they'll be fine. But I I was just better than, um, at the, I was just better than the field at the time. And so no, there wasn't much adrenaline. I, it was, uh, it was cool. Um, but I really just I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. There wasn't. There, this one was destiny. I was just coming <laughs> off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of destiny, but I was just coming off. I mean, if you think about it a year prior, I'm playing on the biggest stage where I'm doing interviews every 10 minutes. Right. I'm talking to people. I'm this hot shot, you know, And but then the next year, uh, but it, it was cool. It was great to finally win another bracelet. Um, uh, but now, as far as adrenaline goes, that didn't really – actually, in that tournament, it was really interesting. I never looked at first place. I never had any idea how much I had won until I went to the cage. It was just – I was really focused. I was on a mission, and uh, I felt like uh, I, I – where people are making decision, making bad decisions – From the adrenaline, I just didn't really have much adrenaline in that tournament.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you you took it down. So, like, you've gone in two years from, like, um, having a piece of the knife and putting 50K in your bank account to now having substantially more money um, after the main event and then the PLO bracelet. So, like, from that stage, you know, what was what happened next in Josh Arie's poker career?
2: Um, I had uh, a two. Let's see, Emily was two or three at the time. In two thousand and five, she was three. Um, I had a young daughter at home. I was married at the time. Um, I was focused on. Um, well, I don't know if I was focused. I was really fucking around a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I was try. I was trying to be family man. And because my kids uh my daughter was everything to me at the time, and um i uh, i don't know i'm I'm trying to find the right way to put it, but yeah i was I, I was in atlanta i I had didn't move to vegas um, how come and i was um because man, I was a action junkie, and if I had moved to Vegas, I would have been. A regular at the Spearmint Rhino and I would have done a lot of bad things more than I did Um, but yeah I I wanted I wanted my kids to grow up with family around them because I didn't have it Um, so it was one of the main one of the main reasons I stayed in Atlanta is because my dad was there and My brother, uh, he was there, and my wife at the time, um, she had family there. And I wanted my kids to grow up with family around them rather than like I did. I grew up with my dad, had uh, my dad had seven brothers and sisters, but they all lived in Israel. Um, So I didn't grow up and I didn't know my mom. So I literally had no uncles, grandmother, grandfather here, nothing. It was just basically me, my brother, my sister, my dad
1: um so so you stuck in atlanta uh,
2: that was, I, yeah
1: i think it makes it makes sense especially like with young kids you know and also yeah. sort of understanding <laughs> your weaknesses as as a poker player or person <laughs> is like yeah i probably don't need yeah. to move to vegas um because i mean no, I, no matter I, how I, much money you have it can all <laughs> it can all turn into dust yeah. in the middle of the night yes. in vegas yes Um,
2: uh, and it would have it definitely would have i was too i was too rich, too young. And um I would have it would have been it would have been fun, but uh it would have been ugly. It would looking back, um I've made plenty of mistakes along the way. But I, I wouldn't change anything that I've done. I, I'm always I live in the I like to live in the moment and um live in today and everything that I do is a lesson along the way. Um, so I don't ever, you'll never hear me say, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. It's always, um, you know, learning from that experience and building from that experience.
1: Like a kid, right? Like you're sitting with your emotions and how do I, what do I learn from going broke? What do I (laughs) learn from this mistake? How do I, how do I become a better person? Um, so since you're living in Atlanta, what games were you playing in like during this time? I guess online poker was quite big and you were a full tilt pro, but I don't know how involved you were with them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I played a lot. Uh, I played a lot. Well, at first I was playing, uh, Bodog was my first sponsor and I played a lot on Bodog. And then, um, then I moved over to full tilt and I had always played a lot online. Um, i I've always uh, mixed it up with the the geniuses playing high playing the nosebleed limits. Um, I fared very well until uh, poker like poker evolved like around the uh, like Brian Hastings and Taylor KB the all those guys that like really turned it into a numbers game which what it is now um i did really well until that came along and because of the fact that i didn't want to study and i didn't think that you could you could do a poker action based on some numbers that you see and i was wrong uh, and why would you think that though because like
1: it in the beginning you know you talked about how you knew this was a game of math where is the disconnect yeah
2: I, I don't know i just it because i was I was gullible to believe that I could be successful no matter what it was it was ego driven um, it was the fact look at me I've made all this money i don't need that shit and uh, I was badly wrong, and so I went through a few years of, uh, of losing and um, failing to it was the first time in my life that I really failed to notice that what I'm doing wrong. Um, And I woke up from that finally, after a few straight years of losing, like I think, and, and because of the fact that I don't really love poker that much, that played into the part. Like I didn't want to study. I didn't want to, I didn't want to look at this stuff because it was hard for me to comprehend. And and then finally, it just dawned on me that, you know what, Josh, if you're not going to do this stuff that you have to do, you can't compete at that level. And so that's why you haven't really seen me play the nosebleed games, um, because it's just I understand that I if I'm not going to study, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play those games. Um, once in a while, you'll see me play big just because. Uh, Um, but no, on a regular basis, I, I know that until I really dive into, um, this new age of, of, study that I'm not gonna compete with those guys.
1: It's kind of interesting, you know, early on in your career, when you didn't have much money and you went broke, you had a lot more opportunity to have those sort of inflection points when you go broke and you're just like in the midst of all the pain and the suffering and as you got success and you had lots of money, well, you could lose and it's not like moving the needle on the pain, the pain, uh, meter, right? Like you're not feeling that suffering. So you don't have that inflection point. Um, until eventually, I guess a few years, that was your threshold (laughs) where it's like, yo, we gotta like, we gotta really look at what we're doing.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just like, you go so many years where your bankroll ticks up ticks up ticks up and you just feel like fuck i'm the man yeah you're bulletproof like, no matter right no matter what i do my bankroll is going to keep ticking up and and it took a lot it took many years of thinking oh it's going to turn it's going to turn because shit I, i've done this for 10 years i've uh, i've always come out on top no matter what i'm doing and and then eventually it's like okay well you're not doing it right um, so, uh, that's when you have to make a decision to, um, to, to spend the time. And, and I, I still, I haven't spent the time that I could and that I should, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to bounce off questions off some really talented people. Um, you know, I get to talk to Daniel Negreanu. I get to talk to Sean Deeb and Matt Lance and daniel Weinman, um all extremely smart guys that that really understand the ins and outs of everything to do poker um but i just still haven't put the hours in that i need to put in that i need to put in to be great to be great to compete against today's competition
1: yeah and it is there is a lot of work involved, you know, these days, yeah. especially like with how powerful the tools are and how they can break things down. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's a different universe than it was, you know, 15 years ago and probably will be a different universe fifteen years from now than it is today.
2: But you know, you know what's really cool to me is like recently, um I don't know if you're gonna cut this or not, but like recently with Rachel taking your course and me getting a firsthand look of all these um, all these uh charts and what to do in each position it's really cool to me like it and it it opens my eyes like you know something so small like never calling from the small blind i always knew that in limit poker you don't call from the small blind you either raise or you fold and now you know translating that into no limit like I try to look back and I know that there's times that I've called in the small blind. And just to think of the way that like the smart players look at me, like this guy with all these winnings is calling from the small blind. And it's, it's really intriguing to me for the first time. Um, So maybe this is an opportunity for me to, to, to really evolve into this new player that can compete in um, the, the bigger buy in events against the best players.
0: In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do, one man, Coach Brad Wilson, has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R.
1: You know, it's funny, um, there was a 10-year stretch, maybe even 15-year stretch where like, I didn't fold a pocket pair pre-flop to do it open from any position, like from the small blind, yeah. uh, middle position versus like, oh, I'm going
2: to flop a set. Yeah,
1: like I'm never folding a pocket pair for 10 years straight. Um, it wasn't until like, you know, you put all the inputs in the supercomputer and it spits out like what it believes the optimal strategy is that you're like, oh, oh, wow, I've been, that's when you gain visibility of like, the technical mistakes that you've been making but like nobody would nobody would know until you know probably five or six years ago when these these outputs started coming about you know um but in your career so
2: yeah it's it's powerful it's really it's it's really interesting to me how um how i did so well doing so many things wrong technically I think,
1: and I think that that's fine. Like, that's the thing. The thing is like, we're playing against people. You know, we talked about this in the pre-conversation and like, we're playing against people. And like, no matter what anybody tries to tell me, you can't look at a pile output. That's like, you know, check 13%, uh big bet, 40%, and then small bet the other remaining percent. Like nobody's going to execute that in practice very well. And so like, we're, people that see patterns and match up patterns and understand what people are doing based on the patterns that they, they have. And whenever you're able to kind of do that, and the way that I think about pressure, by the way, is like, if I watch a friend of mine play a big pot, I'm nervous for them. Like, it's weird in that, yeah. like, I feel nervous for them. But then like, when I'm in the big pot, it's like, everything kind of slows down around me. And there's only like right. this decision in front of me. And that's it. And like, I don't really think about anything else. It's just all blocked out. And, and that's sort of like how my I experience those big moments. And I think that for people who can take the pressure in like that and make good decisions in spite of the pressure, there's always an edge to be had against even the highest level technical level of technical ability, because sometimes those people fall apart when, you know, shit gets real and there's a lot on the line. Right. Right. Um,
2: yeah. No, that's definitely, that's why, that's why they, uh, the old adage of pressure busts the lead pipe. And it does. It's true. I mean, it's, it's true. You see, you see the richest golfers uh, every year in the tour championship. Um, when they're, you know, every putt is like a million dollar difference when they get to the tour championship and there's so much money at stake. And you, you can see the same thing when guys are in Q school. Um, and and, and it, it it happens in poker. It's weird that you know what your brain will do to you when the pressure is there and definitely apparent.
1: Yeah. Um. So you realize that you don't have an edge in like the nosebleed games o- online. What did you do after that, like in your poker career? I, I assume you kept playing poker. So like, where, where were you playing? Were you playing big, bigger live games? Were you playing in Atlanta, private games?
2: No, no I haven't played that much over the past, you know, outside the World Series. And, um, you know, from 20, I literally went through a horrible divorce for two years, um, and didn't play much poker because of the financials that were involved in, um, the divorce. And before that, I just wasn't playing that much outside of the world series and maybe a, uh, a one or two trips to, uh, Florida, uh, a year. Um, so I just haven't played that much. I'm not playing much online. Um, but I'm getting uh, a new... Uh, I, with this new project that I started, I'm starting to get more interested in poker again. And uh, I'm excited about the future of it.
1: So you mentioned this project that you're working on. Tell me and the Chasing Poker Greatness listener about this project.
2: So uh, about... Two months ago, um, a close friend of a friend uh, gets in touch with me and says, let's go to dinner. And he tells me about a project that he wants to take um, an old poker site, pocketfives.com and turn it into a staking site and thought that there was nobody better than myself that is, that understands both sides of staking because I've bought pieces of a ton of people and I've sold pieces of myself told me about the project and from the time he told me I I just decided you know it was something that it was something that I could have seen myself um creating and going all in on but basically um the current pocket five site will be a staking site similar to um similar to uh, some other sites that are out there now. Um, But we will have some really, uh, we'll have, I don't know how to put it. We'll have the only opportunity to buy some great players uh, that aren't available on any other site. It's coming out pretty soon. Um, It might be out by the time this podcast is live. Um,
1: they're, they're going to kill me if I don't ask who these great players are, <laughs> by the way, you know, uh, you I, I have see, to ask the question,
2: uh, you will see, uh, I will have the most famous of all poker players, um, and selling at no markup. Um, and it will be an opportunity to go for a ride, uh, with, uh, some great poker players on their journey through, through tournament poker. and. Um, I, I've come up with some some strategies for the investor to be more engaged. So it's not like you just buy a piece of a player and you are just waiting for the results to see if you won or not. And it's like I put it this way when somebody bets on a football game, you don't bet on a football game and then check the score at the end of the game. I mean, that's no fun. We want action. You know, we want we want the journey. Like as we talked earlier about it's not about destination it's about the journey you know sometimes you have just as much fun sweating a football game and losing it as you do winning it because it was a good sweat and um the way that i've set up the pocket five staking platform is that it will be a lot of fun to uh to sweat these players along the way and uh it's uh i I truly believe it's it's going to change uh The whole ecology of poker, um, it's going to give players the opportunity to play tournaments that they've never been able to play before because of uh, the crowdfunding aspect of it. And it's going to be a win-win for everybody. Investors are going to get to have front row seats to their investment. And players are going to be able to play events that they've never been able to afford and get the experience under their belt and the uh to gain the ability to move up in limits
1: it's um so i've long i've long said that like the sweat is kind of what the casino sells you know we they, they sell bets they you know they'll spread blackjack but it's like that moment between between like when you place your bet and then the cards are revealed and everything happens, that's what they're selling. The excitement of like, am I going to win or am I going to lose? Um, When you press a button on a slot machine, they're selling that moment when it's spinning and you're hearing the sounds and you don't know the result yet, right? Um, So the sweat is a big part of this. One thing that I...
2: Oh, go ahead. Just, um, you know, I, I always ask myself, like, you know, there's been probably five different times that I would post up on my Twitter and say, if you're selling pieces, hit me up. And, and I asked myself, why do I do that? Do I do it for strictly ROI or because I think a guy's good? No. Do I do it strictly for being in action? No. You know, the reasons that I do it are one, I, I want to help a young guy that is coming up somebody that I feel like is a good guy." Um, but mainly it's like, I enjoy hitting refresh on my phone and, and sweating something that I don't feel like is negative EV. I mean, yes, I could go and degen in the casino, but instead of giving up two or 3%, I feel like if I pick the right guys, I'm degening with a little bit of an edge. So, and it's fun. it's, It's, it's so much fun. And and the way that we've got the platform set up, there will be um, unique sweating features that the investors will be more engaged than ever before, and they'll have the player at their fingertips, and they will experience the journey right alongside the player.
1: It sounds awesome, and I'm sure we'll have more details. Yeah,
2: I will. I'm uh, sorry. It's sorry to be so <laughs> sorry to be so vague. It's kind of bullshit, but but yeah, it's 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 happening soon and um i don't know when you're gonna make this podcast live but it could already there could already be a big announcement um by the time this is live
1: yeah i think this this episode is going to drop near the end of september so oh yeah
2: yeah so oh okay well i guess we could rewind and say that i'm the exclusive place to buy a piece of daniel negrano um, he's going to sell to all his world series of poker events um, on pocket com. and uh, we'll have uh, on the site you'll find uh, between five and ten other prominent players uh, if you're unable to to buy a piece of Daniel um, but yeah you should uh, come along and sweat out I'll, I'll be investing myself so uh, come and sweat it and it's it's we're making sure that the investor is uh, definitely gets a good sweat because that's what we're all looking for.
1: And, you know, so this reminds me of a mutual friend, the guy that actually connected us. Um, Trot. Yeah. Trot star guy that I've known since I was probably 21 years old. Kind of funny story about how I, Found Trot was like a, I showed up in Chattanooga to a home game. I found the home game by searching on Yahoo dot com like <laughs> poker home games in Chattanooga, and there was like an ad just like on the internet that anybody could click through and find. That was how I met Trot, and he's been you know he's probably one of my closest friends. Where it's a type of relationship where you know we can not talk for two or three years, and then it's like we never miss a beat when yeah. we do. He's
2: like that's how he is. That's, that's how he people. is. Yeah
1: um yeah, but he had a
2: piece of me he had a piece of me in uh the a couple years ago in the players championship and, yeah uh, when you
1: you put like the worst beat ever on somebody right <laughs> uh yeah
2: I, I forget about that no um yeah trot trot's just good people and uh i enjoy he's he's one of i sell action to people and uh, he's one of the few people that i always reach out to because he has fun sweating it. and uh, That's what I was going to say. Like, yeah, I
1: want gets... to sell my action to Trot just so that we can go on this sweat, yeah. the sweat yeah. ride together because he's just such a fun person to engage oh, with.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. He's, he's good people.
1: Cool, man. So you got this project that by the time this, this goes live is going to launch. Um, let's hit the lightning round and then we'll, we'll wrap this sucker up. Um, All right. So if you could gift a book to all poker players, what would it be and why? It doesn't have to be about poker.
2: I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a big reader, but I will say that I, um, I'm i a huge Gary Vee fan. And anything that Gary Vee writes uh, would give you a better perspective and outlook at what you're doing. The biggest problem that poker players have is um, dwelling in negativity. And I think that I um, I grew more about five years ago when I started taking responsibility for things that happened to me and trying to find a positive outcome of everything that happens, no matter what it is. And, and I think that people can grow as a poker player far outside of the technical hand-by-hand stuff. Um, I would never be able to teach anybody anything, um, any kind of hand technical or, you know, when to do this and when to do that. But I feel like my, um, my mental outlook is, very strong. I don't know the right words. Um, but resilient. Yeah. I mean, staying positive and, and keeping, um, positive thoughts going through your mind, uh, is, is a huge tool that makes me that, that allows me to compete with the very technical players. And there's, I'm sure there's tons of Gary V content and books that, that can help people look at stuff in a different light.
1: And I think that as human beings, we're way more resilient and capable than we give ourselves credit for. I just had Patrick Leonard on the podcast, and he said that over a ten-year stretch, like he didn't have a losing month playing online MTTs, and like that's something that if it were coming from somebody else, I probably wouldn't even believe them. Yeah, but pads, like it's just it's just uh, an example of like. You know, we're in more control than we think, and we have to take responsibility for when things don't go well. And we can't just, you know, snap blame variants for downswings. We have to look in the mirror and take responsibility and be like, we can do better. Like, we are more capable than this. Maybe we miss something. How do we elevate our game? Um, I just think that that's part of it and not just this resignation that like, ah, oh, bad shit happens and bad runs happen. Like, let's take responsibility and ask right. ourselves, how can we be better? Um, uh, maybe right. there's nothing that can be done, but it's worthy to investigate. Right.
2: Yeah. Like I, one of the biggest things, no matter, I ended up at the end of it. So I'm, just, I'm not sure if you're aware, but for a while, the choice center was a big thing in poker about five years ago. Well, I did it. Um, I will say that I think that it's a pyramid scheme, um, they're, they're marketing. Um, so I will say that about it, but I will also say that the two most powerful exercises that I've ever gone through in my whole life happened there at Choice. The first one was an exercise that we did about people were yelling at yelling all these horrible things into my face and then afterwards you are told to tell everybody what you heard and after three minutes or two minutes of people yelling this horrible stuff at my face I could only name like one or two things that they said because the minute bad things were happening to me I shut it all out and so now I related that to my poker the minute I lose a big hand, I'm afraid to feel the pain of what the rest is to come. So I would give up. And because I'm afraid of the pain and I didn't want to feel what was coming next. So I would, it's, it, it's a perfect example of tilt. You lose a big pot, you're not ready to fight. You know, or I wasn't ready to fight. I would go on tilt and I wouldn't want to feel the pain of the rest. That was one exercise that was extremely helpful to my poker. Another exercise that was the most powerful thing that I ever encountered in my entire life. It was the something to do. I don't remember the exact term of it, but it's, it was a circle of a victim responsibility circle. And it was a, a, a pattern that somebody gets into when something bad happens to them. Oh, shit. Poor me, oh, I'm so unlucky, blah, blah, blah. And it taught me to take responsibility for every single thing that happens to me, no matter what, no matter what it is, find a reason within myself to take responsibility. and it's it, it's literally the most freeing feeling. And then relate that to poker. Let's say some person cracks your aces. In the old days, I would be, have my chin on my chest, and I would be telling everybody this bad beat story about I can't believe this happened to me. How the fuck does this person do this? Why me, blah, blah, blah. So now when I get ACEs Cracked, I look back at the information that that person had. What what did I do to cause that person to, to do all these things? Or to do this, what I would say is crazy or stupid. and usually 99 times out of 100, I can find a reason what I did to cause that person to do that. You know, there's the very small time that that there is nothing that you did to uh, to affect that, but everything you do gives somebody else information. And whatever I did, I can always find it. You know, it may be a hand that happened three minutes ago or or an hour ago that I played bad, and now my chip stack is a certain size, so it's making this person play their hand that way, now it's still my fault, because an hour ago, I screwed off this many chips, I should have this many, and that situation would have never come up. So that that those two things, I'll, I'll forever be grateful about the Choice Center for that, but yes, I do think that it's... Uh, crack of shit in a (laughs) pyramid scheme but i took those two very very powerful things that changed me a lot in 2015
1: and we could you know tie this into the rest of the conversation right just finding the good in all the things right finding the lessons finding the positives from just all of our life experience
2: absolutely absolutely uh
1: if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker what would it be
2: I would make it fun again. Um, it's lost. It's it's lost because it's gotten so hard. And um, in the old days, there were so many personalities and it was fun. Um, now it's not as profitable. Like uh, the fun guys can't be that profitable. Um, I would find some way to just make poker fun again because it's a fun game. It's there's, there's so much excitement wrapped around it but because the game evolved so much um it's kind of taken that factor away from it one you thing- don't see you don't see the crazy bluffs and you don't see the big personalities it's 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 very calculated now
1: yeah i think one thing that's changed at least in live poker since i've played you know i haven't played much live poker in the last 6 or 7 years but most of the games have gone private i mean so you had kind of have to be a fun player in like vegas and stuff to even get into the big private games right and i think um there's a lot of negative there but i think that there is a lot of positive in that like they're putting the games together that are enjoyable to play in and there's something to be said for that and if we want to look you know if we want to blame somebody talk about responsibility right for the games going private Um, the crushers, the high-level technical players that were not very fun to play with need to look in the mirror and ask themselves like, I need, and tell themselves like, we're responsible for this happening. Because if they weren't, then that change would never have happened in the first place, right?
2: Yeah, well, there's a fine line. It's like, what do I have to do? Like if I play perfect and play to my max EV in a vacuum, that's not fun but you have to think outside the box. Okay, if I don't play perfect and I'm fun, I will get to play longer and I will get to be involved in all these games. So if it's a matter of, of changing your technical strategy to add a, a personal aspect to it, because you have to c- cater to people. Like the big, the big whales that are playing for fun, it's not fun to sit there and know that you're playing against a guy that is playing perfect. Um, you want to play against a guy that's going to gamble. So if I would, my advice to, to these guys that are absolute crushers and play absolutely perfect, don't focus so much on playing every single hand to the max EV, you know, give up a little bit here and there to be able to be involved.
1: You got to give action to get action, right? Right. Like, I mean, it's, again, the being a professional poker player is in, in a way it is about entertainment and making the experience enjoyable um, for the players that are, you know, the weaker players that are playing in your games, because guess what? Like they can lose their money in many, many places, right? They can go shoot craps and that's fun. They can do lots of things to lose their money. Why are they going to play poker? Because it's a fun experience. And so like it's just that's the priority number one is making making it a fun experience
2: for right. for the you people know, and you it's, play against. You can use like I like to use the analogy of a professional sports better. Say a guy gets an account from a bookie and he only puts bets in the account that are positive E V bets with line movement and you know only sharp, sharp info. Well, you're going to lose that account immediately. But if you go in there and you mix in the favorite and the over on every TV game or stuff like that, where you're actually giving a little action, you know, then the bookie might give you the you know might let you stay in there and keep betting the other stuff that you're positive EV. So it's it, it's really important for smart people to evolve uh, around the personable aspects of gambling rather than just thinking that you're just playing a machine and you get to play perfect all the time.
1: Yeah. You got to play the game within the game right. and the game within the game is, is people. You have to yeah. understand people. Yeah. For sure. Um, if you could erect a billboard, every poker player has got to drive past on their way to the casino. What does Josh Aria's billboard say? Just
2: be nice. I mean, it's like, we, you know, I'm just thinking about like driving to the Rio every day to the World Series of Poker. And, you know, that's funny coming from me, be nice. But the thing about it is that these dealers deal with assholes all the time. They work their ass off. These players are getting their face kicked in every single day. I mean, if you think about poker, how often do we win in a tournament in a tournament um, surroundings? Not often. And just, you know, be nice to people and just try to not ruin somebody's day because you have five minutes of bad things happening. Or something I just see too many dealers just get cards thrown at them. Too many bad players that are in there playing for fun. And, you know, I hate to use the word bad player. I usually use the word like unknowledgeable or amateur. It's like they're playing for fun. And just because of the fact that they didn't study GTO for 87 hours last week doesn't make you any better than them. And these people are actually making it possible for you to play. So be nice to these people. Make, it, make these people enjoy their experience. And also at the same time, be thankful for the dealer's and the floor staff that make all this possible. And yes, they're making money, but they're it's not the world. getting rich. Yeah, <laughs> this is the world we live in. Yeah, but they're not getting rich. I mean, some people are getting rich, but but not the dealers and not the floor staff. So just fucking be nice to people.
1: Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And the way that I, I tend to label, you know, people say amateurs, racks, fish, Whatever label it is, like I think of them as instinctual players, and that's just they're human beings that lack knowledge and that are playing based on their instinct, what their emotions tell them to do. That's why most um instinctual players tend to play very similarly because they're just in a spot they don't know what to do, they don't have a mental map, and so they just do whatever their emotions tell them and I mean, if you really look at it granularly, you can go down deep in the tree and like many pros will have moments where they're unstudied and, um, have an instinctual reaction and use very, very bad strategy. So yeah. And plus, you know, I've said it on the show many times, anybody that's like successful enough in life to drop 30, 40 K at a poker table and is like just fine with it. Um, they've accomplished some shit that no poker player ever has. Right. Right. So like,
2: yeah, just um, because you, just because you're great at poker or just because you've, built your life around poker it doesn't make you any better than just this guy that decided to shove with 10 jack offsuit. You yeah, know, I mean, it's, you're better
1: at a card game than that. right? And that's right. It. Right. Um, cool, man. So final question, the chasing poker greatness, if they want to learn more about you, where do they go on the worldwide web? And you can also direct them to the pocket five staking platform that's launching.
2: Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I guess if you want to learn more about me, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I don't really have much out there. I mean, I'm on Twitter, but it's basically, I use Twitter as, uh, just like a troll account to pick out, you know, pick on friends and make fun of people, just have fun with it. Um, but yeah, this, I, I'm really passionate about, uh, this pocket staking, uh, platform that I've spent a lot of time this is basically my, my first venture into the business world. And it's like, it's been interesting learning so much stuff about, I used to think I was smart because I could play poker or whatever, but I'm really learning a lot now. And, uh, I'm really enjoying coming into an office every day. Um, so I'm putting a, a lot of, of, all of my time into this. So if, uh, if you want to invest, or if you want to invest, come on the site and find you a player to buy a piece of. Maybe you'll be lucky enough to, to see some of Daniel still available. Um, and if you're a player that uh, is um, looking to get better and uh, you know go up in the ranks, uh, you can uh, fill out a form to uh, an application to post your package on pocket fives as well awesome man that's pocketfives.com,
1: pocketfive dot com p-o-c-k-e-t-f-i-v-e-s dot com and by the way you said there is pocket fives going to be like changing um across the board because i know they're like a tournament site right now with poker forums and all of that like are they just is this like a total gutting and rebuild
2: uh right now um, we didn't have time to 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 revamp the whole site so right now the staking section will come as a pop-up um, and open in a separate window but after the World Series we are gutting everything and revamping the content to um, more in lines of staking and about players uh, about the lifestyles of players you know um, like the old poker content when it when it wasn't so technically driven, and uh, we're gonna focus on uh, the player side rather than the industry side
1: yeah that's why you know I created this podcast in the way that I did because the journey the stories that's what brought me into poker and that's what I love so thank you very much for your time man can't wait to see the launch of your staking platform on pocket fives. And we'll have you back on in a few years and see how things are going on. Absolutely, Brad. I appreciate you, man.
2: Anytime.
0: Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.